All right, that's a very fancy echo. <laughs> All right, we're gonna fix it before I begin. All right, one, two, three. Okay, good, perfect, thank you so much. Uh, it is my pleasure uh, to address you tonight. Let us pray. Oh God, by your grace you have called us in this diocese to a goodly and godly fellowship of faith. Bless our bishops and other clergy and all lay people. Grant that your word may be truly preached and truly heard, and that your sacraments be faithfully administered and faithfully received. By your Spirit, fashion our lives according to the example of your Son, and grant that we may show the power of your love to all among whom we live, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is my pleasure to welcome you all to this Eighth Synod of the Anglican Diocese of the West, Church of Nigeria, North American Mission. I must first of all give all thanks to God, our Father, for his eternal love for every single one of us. To our Lord Jesus Christ for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And to the Holy Spirit for convicting us of our sin, for drawing us to penitent faith in Christ, and for empowering us to serve God in holiness and righteousness. To God be the glory and praise for everything he has done and will continue to do for us in this diocese. I thank our children, and especially my wife, Mama West, for her unwavering love, patience, and support. It is a huge responsibility to be married to a bishop, and I thank God for her. Our gratitude extends to all suffragan bishops in our diocese and in Conan, diocesan officers of this diocese, synod planning committee, and I, I want to particularly mention their name. Uh, I'm avoiding mentioning names here because if I do that, uh, we are going to stay here for a long time. But uh, it is important that I mention uh, the Synod Planning Committee because of the sacrifice they have put into making this a possibility. And I'm probably going to miss somebody. Uh, but the uh, head of this Synod Planning Committee is a suffragan bishop, the Right Reverend Dr. Scott Seeley, who is sitting to my left here. Uh, so thank you, Bishop Scott. And also Canon Isaac uh, Rayberg, uh, who is our canon for liturgy. The Reverend Dr. Robert Goodman, uh, who handles uh, Zoom for the diocese. And then for all of you, uh, you know, the uh, music folks who helped us tonight, want to thank you so much for everything you have done. Uh, Bishop Scott and Canon Isaac and Dr. Robert Goodman drove three hours from San Antonio 
to, you know, to, from San Antonio to Houston uh, to make sure that this works out very well for us here. I uh, also want to particularly recognize uh, social media director, Reverend John Kolawale. Thank you so much, uh, Felicia, uh, for all that you do. I also want to thank the speakers and everyone for their many hours of service to this diocese, to the clergy of this diocese for their tireless labor and sacrifice, to our diocesan knights and ladies, and thank you so much, our knights who are here tonight. Uh, thank you for coming and sitting through uh, this uh, address this evening. We extend our gratitude to your ladies as well, to the diocesan laity, I want to thank my mentor, Archbishop Ephraim Ademowo, the former Dean of the Church of Nigeria. Our thanks are extended to all the distinguished ladies and gentlemen and other friends of the diocese who are our guests today. Many of you have exceeded all expectations this year, and we are very grateful. Your prayers and support have been instruments in the hands of God for the good of our diocese and the work of our diocese. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts. We are grateful to our new primate, the Most Reverend Henry Chukudum Ndokoba, for his wisdom, attentiveness, pastoral care, and gracious guidance to us since taking office in late March of this year, and we look forward to working with him in the establishment of God's reign in the church and in the world. As a diocese, we also want to express our sincere thanks to our retired primate, the Most Reverend Dr. Nicholas D. Oko, for his leadership and encouragement to us while he was our primate. We pray that God will keep him his wife and their children safe, healthy, and in peace as they enjoy his retirement. It is sadly obvious that we live today in a very strange world, a world that is extremely difficult to describe. Our world is embattled by a dangerous viral pandemic, angry political partisanship, racism, tribal conflicts, violence and destruction in our cities, tribal genocide, moral laxity, disregard for the poor and the disenfranchised, religious persecution and murder of Christians in Nigeria and other nations, loss of jobs and social upheaval affecting relationships in our families and churches, as well as the unity, worship and mission of the church itself. And at this point, I want to pause to talk about what is happening in Nigeria. When I wrote this address, uh, Nigeria was fairly peaceful, if you can describe peace. But there is so much turbulence in the Federal Republic of Nigeria. And we know exactly why there is problem in our country back home. There is mass unemployment. There is police brutality and aggression. There is incompetence. There are all kinds of evils 
in our country. And of course, the youth in Nigeria decided to protest police brutality and all kinds of evil and corruption and incorrigibility amongst the leadership. And during these riots, things were destroyed, properties were broken into, there's been a lot of looting, and unfortunately, the Nigerian government ordered soldiers to shoot our youth. And we want to say, as the bishop of this diocese, on behalf of our diocese, that shooting of peaceful protesters is wrong. It is morally wrong. It is a, is a crime against humanity. And it is uncivil in a civilized society and goes contrary to democratic principles of a democratic nation. And so we ask the government of Nigeria to withdraw their forces from attacking peaceful protesters and listen to the voice of the young people and those who are suffering in Nigeria. There is so much to do. Our government needs to listen and do what they need to do. And of course, repent of their sinfulness and their corruption and wickedness. But in the same vein, we appeal to those who are protesting in Nigeria and ask them to avoid violence, ask them to avoid looting. Uh, it's very interesting that they are only looting uh, you know, things from ShopRite and other shops, but they are not looting anything from bookstores. So it appears that these people don't want to read. They just want to take things to eat. Uh, so please restrain yourselves and focus your attention on the corruption and do not be part of the corruption in the name of protest. And so we appeal to the government to apply restraint and to respond to the people. And we appeal to the people to protest peacefully so that the country will survive. On top of all these troubles, there appears to be an unwillingness among many to seek the truth, to live the truth, and to speak the truth on political, religious, and social issues. This is terribly unfortunate, even tragic in a civilized and upwardly mobile society with Christian roots. Our current situation reminds me of the conversation between Freudo and Gandalf in J.R.R. Tolkien's novel. And I quote, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Freudo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us, end of quote. And so what is our decision? What should be our decision? We must deliberately respond to our present situation with faith in God, hope in his promise, and love for one another. We must respond by proclaiming the gospel of Christ, a gospel that brings hope and peace. Peace with God, peace in our hearts, and peace with one another 
as we navigate our way in times such as this. We must endeavor to know the truth, speak the truth, and live the truth. In a time of universal deceit, being truthful is a revolutionary act, says George Orwell. And so let us start a truth revolution in our society by living in accordance with the word of God, which is the truth. The rate of COVID-19 infection is still very high in North America. Consequently, we call on everyone to utilize all precautionary measures that are already in place, such as physical social distancing, regular hand washing, and the use of masks and alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Shelby Kondo has rightly said, and I quote, 2020 has been a stressful year. We have been placed in situations we didn't ask for. We've experienced hardships we never imagined. And we have seen things we never thought we would see. But we've also learned God will never leave us alone. We are only here through his mercy and grace. And I am a believer that he will bring us through. End of quote. Amen? The Lord will bring us through. Amen? We are grateful to God that to date, no member of this diocese has lost his or her life to the pandemic. And we pray that by the mercy of God, none of us will. In Jesus' name. That is our sincere petition to God. And we can trust God knowing that he is a God who answers prayer. He is a miracle-working God whose gracious plans for his people never fail, even when we do not deserve it. And of course, we don't deserve God's blessing 100% of the time. Everything is by grace. But our deepest condolences extend to each of you who has lost loved ones to this pandemic or from any other cause. We remember Venerable Dr. Godson Ebujo, who lost his father, Venerable Dr. Kenneth Olebara, who lost his mother, Reverend Progress Chima, who lost his mother-in-law. Also, at this time, we remember those who have lost their lives in Nigeria as a result of, this, of the riots going on. And I want us to observe a moment of silence as we think about our loved ones and those who have been killed, either here in the United States, in Nigeria, and other things in the pursuit of peace, and as a result of the pandemic. Just a moment of silence. May the Lord comfort you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Primate of the Church of Nigeria, Anglican Communion. On behalf of the Diocese of the West, I want to congratulate and welcome our new Archbishop, Metropolitan and Primate of all Nigeria, the Most Reverend Henry Chukudum Ndokoba, 
Our primate is a gentle, godly, intelligent, sensitive, and pastorally responsive primate. He is an evangelist and a missionary who has sacrificed and risked his life for the sake of the gospel. Our primate is a humble, spiritually dynamic, profound Bible teacher and powerful expositor of the word of God. I am personally encouraged by the order, discipline, and commitment to gospel ministry that have marked his primatial leadership since assuming office on March 25th of this year. As you may know, the Church of Nigeria has 14 archbishops, 14 small provinces, 163 dioceses, and 175 bishops with over 10,000 parishes filled with roughly 20 million Anglicans. That is the responsibility of the primate to shepherd all of this, and so we must pray for him. In the past 10 years, the Church of Nigeria has added 27 new dioceses and about 15 missionary dioceses. In case it has not dawned on you, there is a tremendous weight of responsibility on the shoulders of our new primate and his wife, Mama Angela Ndokoba. Please keep them in your prayers because this immense responsibility requires divine grace, wisdom, and power with much prayer and perseverance. <coughs> Appropriately, Archbishop Ndokoba has declared his primatial tenure as the decade of the reign of God. He has dedicated his leadership to promote and further the reign of God in our churches and nations around the world through the proclamation of the gospel with integrity, discipline, and faithfulness. May the Lord our God grant him that desire in Jesus' name. Suffragan bishops of the diocese. The Anglican Diocese of the West has two suffragan bishops, Bishop Scott Seeley and Bishop Celestine Irona. They were consecrated on March 21st, 2020, at Holy Trinity Cathedral in Lokoja, Koji State, Nigeria, by the former primate of the Church of Nigeria, the Most Reverend Dr. Nicholas D. Oko. Their, their role, that is the role of our suffragan bishops, is to assist me in my role as diocesan bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the West. Suffragan bishops are assisting bishops who have no ecclesiastical jurisdictions of their own. I am very pleased for them to join me in shouldering the responsibility for the administration of this diocese that I have served by God's grace with your kind help and support for more than eight years. Please join me in congratulating them. The primary role of our two suffragan bishops, in addition to assisting me with the administration of the diocese, is to facilitate church planting in the regions assigned to them. 
these regional assignments are not jurisdictional and that they are subject to change as circumstances may dictate. To this end, suffragan bishops do not make preferments or perform investitures of knights. They perform confirmations and make parish visits at the direction of the diocesan bishop and possibly perform ordinations at the direction of both the diocesan bishop and the primate of the Church of Nigeria when and if the primate grants them permission to do so. For mission purposes, here are the geographical areas where each of our suffragans will be assisting me, beginning with suffragan bishop Celestine Irona. Now let me say something about Celestine. Uh, some years ago, I um, preferred him an archdeacon and of course sent the email to the diocese. And then I got a phone call, a fairly unhappy phone call saying, you know, Bishop Orji, I thought we don't ordain women in the Church of Nigeria. And if we don't ordain women, why are you preferring this female priest, an archdeacon? I said, which female priest? He says, Celestine. I said, um, in Nigeria, um, Celestine is a name for men. For women is what? Celestina. And so he apologized profusely. So uh, Bishop, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bishop Celestine is a man. Uh, he's not a woman. Amen? Uh, so he's not going to change uh, his uh, gender. So uh, Bishop Celestine Irona uh, would help me in the southeast comprising of Arkansas, the state of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, Virginia, Delaware, and Maryland. Also, he would assist me in the Northeast, and the states are Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut. He will also assist me in the Dominion of Canada and the Persian Gulf. We have churches in the Persian Gulf. And let me take this opportunity to welcome our brothers and sisters in the Persian Gulf uh, who are up tonight uh, with us on this uh, telecast. Suffragan Bishop Scott Seeley is going to assist me in the Pacific region, <coughs> comprising of Washington State, Oregon State, and California. Also, the Rocky Mountains, comprising Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. He will also assist me in the Southwest, comprising Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma. Bishop Scott will also be in charge of the Midwest, comprising North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. And finally, Bishop Scott Seeley will also be assisting me with our mission in South Africa. 
Uh, we just planted a church in South Africa, and Bishop Scott Sealy, uh, you'll be heading to South Africa at some point for a visit. So I want to thank them, and I pray again that the Lord empower our suffragan bishops along with their wives, Miriam Sealy and Caroline Irona, to serve with humility and joy. It is presently unclear whether we will receive any additional suffragan bishops. I trust that in due course, clarity will emerge and permit both the enhancement of our diocesan ministry and the expansion of our evangelistic mission. <coughs> New clergy, please join me in welcoming the following clergy to our diocese. Venerable Kenneth Olebra, Venerable Dr. Shola Falodun, Venerable Dr. David Jayola, Venerable Henry Okachuku Chima, Venerable Patrick Mwakalo, Venerable Pasco Uchenna Okwara, Venerable Dr. David Ozuzu, Reverend Canon Bolaji Ebenezer, Reverend Canon Cornelius Ale, Reverend Canon Oluwatosun Onasesso, Reverend Canon David Wanepe, Reverend Clark Cornelius, Reverend Charles Miller, Reverend Ozoma Ebirekwe, Reverend Ogo Onwumelo, and Reverend Emeka Abano. <coughs> God has blessed us with the fellowship of these godly gentlemen. They are here to join us in carrying out the mission of the diocese, which is to make disciples of all nations for Jesus Christ. Our call is to plunder hell as we draw men and women to Christ and into his kingdom. This is why from year to year our diocesan motto remains the same, and our motto is to make disciples of all nations for Christ. Amen? That is the central mission of our diocese. It is not to build an empire for ourselves. It is not to make a name for ourselves and build a tower of Babel. Uh, our mission, our motto is to make disciples of all nations for Jesus Christ. And everything that we do must and be directed toward achieving that goal. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I quote, we preach not to fill our churches, but to save sinners from hell, and the two are not the same. End of quote. And so, Diocese of the West, go get the sinners for Christ. Amen? Uh, let's go get the sinners for Christ. Uh, everyone is welcome into our diocese, all the sinners and all the wicked people. Uh, bring them to our churches so that we convert them. Hallelujah. Ordinations. The following individuals were ordained or became postulants in the past year, beginning with the deacons. Reverend Christian Chukubueze Anyangweze. And he's here. I know he's somewhere here. Okay. All right. Praise God. So Reverend Christian Chukubueze Anyangweze. How come there are two Ezes in your name? Your Reverend Chidibem Davidson Mwosu. Reverend Emma Ozoma O'Henry, Reverend Samuel Chidi Inhekwaba, 
Reverend Jesse Tyler Bacalo. And the following were ordained to the priesthood, and there's only one person, Reverend Dr. Kelvin Okwana, and he's here. Our postulants who are in the process of ordination are <coughs> Brian Sears, Benson Ndubisi, Godwin Ezekuba, John Mack, Ifani Azubike, Israel Olaleru, Prince Uchagwa, Samson Nwaneku, Augustine Nwaneku, Ozochuku Ibe. Uh, just note that the last three are apostolants in the Persian Gulf, and they will be ordained this December in the Diocese of Owere. So we're going to ordain them in the Diocese of Owere, uh, both of us. We'll ordain them there. So Samson Waneku, Augustine Nweliku, Ozochiku Ibe in the Persian Gulf will be ordained to the diaconate this December. Diocesan appointments. Over the past year, the following diocesan appointments were made. Venerable Dr. Shola Falodun was appointed regional archdeacon for Louisiana. Venerable Dr. Kenneth Olebara was appointed regional archdeacon for Virginia. <coughs> Venerable Samuel Uguneri was appointed regional archdeacon for the Persian Gulf. Reverend Canon Patrick Chenwoba was appointed diocesan prayer ministry coordinator. Reverend Canon Tosun Onasso was appointed diocesan IT advisor to the bishop. Reverend Folusho Kolawole was appointed Diocesan Director of Social Media Ministry. Reverend Canon Dr. Olushegun Adebogun was appointed Canon Missioner for Canada. Reverend Dr. Rob Goodman was appointed Diocesan Spiritual Director. Reverend Barry Cowald was appointed Minister General for the Society of St. Benedict, SSB. Sir Dr. Okedike was appointed Chancellor for the Houston Cathedral, Holy Trinity Cathedral, here in Houston. And Mr. Henry Nabugu, Esquire, was appointed a diocesan legal officer. Can we clap for them? <coughs> there are three new diocesan policies I will read the first two in full, and the second will be sent to you. It's pretty long, so I won't read all of it. So the first diocesan policy that is new is vesting by non-stipendiary clergy. Vesting, wearing your vestments by non-stipendiary clergy. And I quote, all clergy who are not employed and remunerated by a parish vestry or the diocese are called non-stipendiary clergy. They are volunteers, emphasis volunteers, and should sit in the congregation with their spouses, if applicable, during church services. They may wear clerical shirts if they desire, and I encourage you to wear your clerical shirts. No such volunteer clergy or honorary clergy may wear altar vestments in church 
or participate as a member of the altar party for church services unless requested to do so by the rector of that parish. I hope that is clear. Uh, so if you're a clergyman in a particular parish and you've not been employed by the parish that is the vestry, did not write you a letter of employment and employ you, if you're not employed with a letter of employment, you are not stipendiary clergy, you are a volunteer clergy, and your title is honorary clergy in that particular parish because you're a volunteer. Uh, this has legal ramifications. That is partly why, why I'm doing this. But also, we've had trouble with parishes, you know, in parishes with multiple clergy, uh, where all of them vest every Sunday, and, and the altar is crowded, you know, and when they don't vest, they get angry. So as the bishop of the diocese, I'm saying to you, that must stop. So your rector has to say, this Sunday, you know, Reverend A and B, you're vesting, you join me. If the rector does not tell you to vest, please wear your clerical collar. If you want, if you want to wear your cassock, wear your cassock and stay, sit with your family. Please, sit with your family. Uh, as a bishop, you know, when I travel um, and I'm not visiting, I sit with my wife. Uh, when we were in El Paso, uh, several Sundays, I sat with my wife in the congregation. Uh, because I want to sit with my wife and children. Amen? Uh, so, so don't run away from your wives. Uh, it is not necessary that you vest every Sunday. It is not necessary. And visiting clergy uh, from wherever they come from, uh, visiting this diocese, they fit into this. So it doesn't matter where you are coming from, from Church of Nigeria or Church of England or Church of South Africa or wherever you are coming from, when you visit a parish in our diocese, Unless the rector asks you to vest, please do not vest. All right? So uh, that way we don't have to write a report to your bishop in Nigeria. Second policy. Vesting by retired clergy. All retired clergy should sit in the congregation with their spouses if applicable. That is, if they are married. All retired clergy, clergy should sit in the congregation with their spouses during church services and may wear clerical shirts if they desire. No retired clergy may wear altar vestments in church or participate as a member of the altar party for church services unless requested to do so by the current rector." End of quote. So if you're retired, please enjoy your retirement. Uh, I can't wait to retire. <laughs> and when I retire, I'll be on a cruise with my wife. You know, we hardly see each other even though we're in the same house. So if, you know, when you retire, please enjoy your retirement. Come to church, wear your, you know, wear your clerical collar if you want, and sit in the pews with your family. Now, whenever the rector needs you to help, the rector will tell you, and you come up. And then the third new policy is protocol for resolution of necessary diocesan matters. Uh, and let me give you the gist of this. Uh, if issues come up in your church, instead of picking up your phone and calling the bishop, which has been happening, when, when an issue comes up, you call your rector. If it's not your rector, you call the regional archdeacon. 
and that regional archdeacon will investigate the issue with the suffragan bishop that is in charge of that region. Uh, those matters can be solved. When they are solved, I don't need to know anything about it. So if things are happening in your church, please don't call me. Uh, talk to your regional archdeacon, you know, talk to your rector, and then your regional archdeacon or your rector will take it to the suffragan bishop, and the suffragan bishops are smart enough, uh, they can take care of that. Uh, if they can't take, their, take care of that, uh, then they can refer that to me and to the chancellor and legal officers of the diocese. So uh, we're going to email this to the whole diocese tonight, so you read it for yourself. Amen? Church planting. We are a missionary diocese whose focus is on making disciples through preaching, teaching, and church planting. Uh, here are our current church planting initiatives. Restoration Anglican Church, Huntsville, Alabama. St. Benedict Anglican Church, San Antonio, Texas. Anglican Fellowship, Harrisburg, Oregon. New Braunfels Anglican Church, New Braunfels, Texas. Grace Anglican Church, Franklin Park, New Jersey. Emmanuel Anglican Church, Bonaby, British Columbia, Canada. And Christ Anglican Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are also involved in church planting, of, oh, sorry. So we're involved in church planting in South Africa and the Persian Gulf in supportive oversight roles. We hope this involvement will grow, and as we plant churches in foreign countries, we will follow Anglican protocol, which is to say, we will work with and under the local Anglican dioceses, unless those dioceses or provinces are heretical and hostile to the gospel of Christ. Uh, let me explain this again. In Anglicanism, there is a protocol. You know, you can't just move from the North America and go to Nigeria and plant an Anglican church without any reference to the Anglican Church of Nigeria. Uh, the only time that we do that is when that particular province that you are planting a church is a heretical province like the Episcopal Church, you know, the Anglican Church of Canada that are hostile to the gospel. So when we go in there, like in South Africa, uh, where the South African Anglican Church is hostile to the gospel, uh, blessing same-sex unions and denying that Jesus Christ is the only way. So we go in there and plant churches and we supervise them from here. Uh, the day the Anglican Church of South Africa repents of their sin, we surrender those churches to them. Uh, same thing in the Persian Gulf. Uh, so, uh, so we will do a mission in places, uh, reach out to Anglicans and make sure they receive the gospel. <laughs> Our continuing mission is to evangelize and disciple new believers and to plant new churches through individual efforts as well as the efforts of diocesan parishes and archdeaconries. We established the Archbishop Ademowo Mission Fund, AAMF, at the 2019 Synod in Toronto to help fulfill this dominical mission. Please continue to contribute to this fund so that we can better accomplish God's divine purpose. We ask individuals to contribute to this mission fund. Uh, we also ask parishes to contribute, you know, and our friends out there all around the world, 
uh, we ask you to please contribute to this mission fund. Planting churches is a great start, but sustaining them is what takes much time, money, and energy. In our diocese, we don't plant churches by stealing or asking members from other churches to join the new church plant, except when it is the desire of the sending church to help with the planting of the new church. Instead, we focus on the unchurched and unlapsed members. Our church planting ministry will experience hostility. When we do, however, we must make sure that such persecution is truly on account of the gospel. Sometimes the hostility and opposition we experience in ministry have nothing to do with the gospel of Christ, <clears throat> but instead they are caused by our forgery of God's signature through unprincipled and ungodly methods of preaching the gospel or by pursuing our own private agendas under the cover of ministry and mission. God is not a God of confusion. God is not on our side when we engage in ministry that is divisive, that is discriminatory, or that is egotistic. The warning of Archbishop Ben Kwashi is very helpful here, and I quote, the longest and the most tortuous road in life begins with the choice of cutting corners, rejection of honest paths, refusing to humbly learn from godly models, arrogance, and love of dishonesty, end of quote. And so if we find ourselves in that unfortunate situation, the way forward is to humble ourselves and return to doing God's work, God's way, with love for others and passion for the glory of God alone. Amen? What am I saying? When we are planting churches, we are not going to steal people from other churches. Uh, there are so many sinners. We need to go get them. Uh, church planting is not taking half of uh, one particular parish uh, and making them a new church and making uh, them you know, archdeacons and uh, senior wardens just to move them from one church to the other. Uh, that is deceitful and crafty church planting. A vision for the future. The mission of our diocese is to make disciples of all nations and ethnicities for Christ by preaching the gospel of Christ as we teach the whole counsel of God from his written word. <clears throat> as we carry out this mission, our overarching vision is that the Holy Spirit will help us to go deeper in our relationship with God, to draw closer to one another, and to positively impact our communities with both the gospel of Christ and practical help for those in need. What steps must we take and what goals should we set for ourselves in order to achieve this mission and vision? We need, first of all, we need to plant churches. We need to plant 50 churches by the grace of God hopefully by the end of 2020. I know that sounds very high, uh, but we have to set our sight high and then trust God in his sovereignty 
to do what he wants to do. So 50 churches by the end of 2022. I am asking every archdeaconry in the diocese to begin planning to plant churches through evangelization of sinners, and as I said, not by stealing members from other churches in the area. So please begin to pray and begin to plan. Secondly, to achieve our goals, we have to increase giving, both in the parishes and to the diocese. So I'm asking all members of this diocese, please give to your churches, because when you give to your churches, your churches are able to give to the diocese. And what we expect the parishes to give to the diocese is 10% of what they receive every month. And so if you're a diocese and you're not giving 10%, after we've agreed that you should do that, you're stealing from God. Do you understand? Uh, so that is what we agreed in the diocese. If you're shortchanging your 10% of the parish's contribution to the diocese, that is an act that is ungodly, it is unethical. Uh, it may not be illegal, but it is unethical. So parishes, uh, please send your 10% to the diocese for the work and mission of our diocese. And, and people in the parishes, uh, please give generously to the parish. And so to this end also, I will be establishing a diocesan projects and fundraising committee to help effectuate this goal. Thirdly, we are going to continue clergy and clergy-wise continuing education during our monthly clergy meetings and at our annual clergy retreat. Fourthly, we will strengthen diocesan families and our diocesan women's ministry by establishing a central leadership team and organizing both archdeaconry and regional events. We've had very good family and women's workshops and conferences in this past year, but we must do better. Fifth, we need to organize youth and young adult conferences in our archdeaconries and the various regions led by the suffragans. Each suffragan bishop will be contacting the regional archdeacons in his region to coordinate diocesan youth and young adult ministry activities in that region. Diocesan parishes should establish Anglican youth fellowship groups and young adult fellowship groups. Sixth, establish quarterly continuing education for catechists, lay readers, and lay evangelists. Our education department will be working on this. Seventh, make concerted efforts to identify, encourage, and raise up a younger generation of clergy in North America who possess godly character as well as the aptitude and desire to teach the word of God who understand the social context of our time and who have the ability to perform ministry in that context. So to that end, I expect all diocesan parishes to begin the process of identifying and encouraging young candidates for ordained ministry. So we need young people like uh, Prince Ogade, Uchiagwa, and uh, 
you know, uh, Reverend Anyangweze, you know, some young people, Venerable Kuraf and Venerable Badnobi, we're all getting old. So we need to be replaced. Amen? <laughs> yeah, so, so young people uh, begin to pray about it, especially those ones that are born here in North America. Uh, we need to get them into the ministry of our diocese. So by the spring of 2021, uh, it is my hope that the names of several such candidates will have been forwarded to me for consideration. The diocese has an ordination protocol that will now include a weekend for interviews and observations as part of the discernment process. We are going to continue to observe our monthly fasting and prayers every first Wednesday of the month. And we are going to establish our diocesan office here in Houston, Texas, as soon as the construction of our diocesan cathedral, Holy Trinity Cathedral in Houston, has been completed. So please pray for us and join us for the celebration at the cathedral's dedication sometime next year. Uh, so the dedication isn't going to be this year. We, we are going to have a good celebration. Amen? And I don't want to see any masks at that celebration. So we are going to wait. Uh, Holy Trinity, we are not in a hurry. Amen? Yeah, so... so um, We'll get rid of the masks, and then we are ready to celebrate. And so the diocesan office has been in El Paso at the historic Cathedral of St. Francis. Uh, I shall be moving this diocesan office from El Paso to Houston, Texas. Uh, so the dean is getting my office ready. He showed it to me last night, and uh, it's looking good. Uh, thank you, Dean. Obadnabi. Uh, continue to strengthen and enhance the following diocesan ministries, administration, communication, social media, and community outreach. Community outreach should emphasize various forms of societal engagement and the provision of material help to those who are needy in addition to sharing the gospel of Christ with the community. I have designated All Saints Anglican Church, Houston, Texas, as the Diocesan Center for Social Ministry. We are here at All Saints Anglican Church, and this will be our Diocesan Center for Societal Social Ministry. We must endeavor to build our lives, ministries, churches, and communities on godly foundation. I say this because building one's ministry or life, or community, or church on a foundation of false teaching, conceit, deception, hatred, selfishness, divisiveness, self-glory, malice, and discrimination, or lust for money and power may produce some measure of success in the short term. But it will neither bring glory to God, nor will it prosper in the long run. Our God, before whom no secrets are hidden, is watching us all, and we will, he will reward us according to our works. So may God have mercy on leaders of the church and help us to lead well for his glory alone. Amen? We must ensure that our diocese continues its tradition of joyful, united, and intentional outreach to people from every race, tribe, and tongue. 
As I've said before, the Anglican Diocese of the West is for all people who want to be part of what God is doing here in North America. In North America. Our diocese is not for Nigerians only. That sort of approach will be social segregation and theological philatism, which is an extremely ungodly approach to Christian mission. And so I appeal to all of you, open our church doors, open its leadership ministries, and more importantly, open your hearts to people of every race and social standing. Be sensitive, be excited, be proactive about it. This multicultural nature of our diocese is a key strand of the DNA of our diocese. The gospel calls us to be one. And here is how Dr. John Stott uh, put it, and I quote, <coughs> the good news that is the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ, which Paul preached, is that Christ died and rose again, not only to save sinners like me, though he did, but also to create a single new humanity, not only to redeem us from sin, but also to adopt us into God's family, not only to reconcile us to God, but also to reconcile us to one another. Thus, the church is an integral part of the gospel. The gospel is good news of a new society as well as good news of a new life. End of quote. We are a family in this diocese, irrespective of our various races, tribes, and tongues, and we must keep it that way. As biblically orthodox Christians, we need to cultivate self-control, principled behavior, civility, genuine love, godliness, and respect for one another, irrespective of race, tribe, and nationality, because without these qualities, our mission will be undermined. We must stop dividing God's church along racial, socioeconomic, age, and tribal lines in the name of mission or doctrinal purity. Racial segregation as a response to racism is both ungodly and biblically untenable. That is why in this diocese, as I said clearly, our mission here is not to reach Nigerians only. Our mission is not to reach black people only. Our mission is to reach everybody. Amen? And we are not going to segregate ourselves either from the Anglican Church in North America. There are brothers and sisters who are pursuing the mission of the gospel. Even though we are not part of ACNA uh, organizationally, uh, we are part of them spiritually. And so we must cooperate with them. One cannot possibly do God's work, do God's work effectively with anger and hatred, deceit and strife and discrimination injustice and narcissism and bitterness in one's heart. All such ministry will be totally consumed by fire on the day of judgment. Such ministry's only legacy will be a legacy of crisis rather than a legacy of peace and growth in Christ. 
So make sure that your ministry is all about Christ and not about yourself, not about your nationality, and not about your tribe. Amen? We cannot be tribalistic and nationalistic in our mission and ministry in this diocese or in Conan. Our Father's intention is that through Christ, the church will become a truly multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic, and multilingual community of faithful men and women whose goal is to bless others through preaching and living the gospel of Christ, and whose ultimate purpose is to glorify God in this world and in the world to come. That is his plan, so let's follow it. Gafcon provinces, Acna, and formerly Cana. My brothers and sisters, we are committed to Gafcon. Gafcon means Global Anglican Fellowship Conference. It is a fellowship of conservative Anglican churches. As a diocese in the Church of Nigeria Anglican Communion, we must uphold our distinctive biblical and theological commitments in matters of doctrine, liturgy, and mission. At the same time, however, we must love our brothers and sisters in the Anglican Church in North America because they are part of members of GAFCON. We will make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace by living in harmony with the Anglican Church in North America as we respect their provincial integrity in North America in full accordance with Anglican ethos and Anglican tradition. To this end, the virtues of godliness and principled behavior require that the Church of Nigeria not create new dioceses in North America. I've been on record, and I will continue to be on record, that I will not support any attempt by any province outside of North America that is conservative coming into North America, creating dioceses without reference to the Anglican Church in North America that is the conservative evangelical Bible province here in this geographical province. We must consider <coughs> how our actions affect other people and how they affect our integrity as a province. I have respectfully counseled the Church of Nigeria. I have respectfully advised the Church of Nigeria not to create new dioceses in North America because the ACNA is our GAFCON partner and also because the Church of Nigeria has declared itself to be in full communion with the Anglican Church in North America. You cannot be in full communion with another Anglican province and then go into that province and be proliferating and planting dioceses. That is not the way Anglicanism works. And so as your bishop, and as the coordinating bishop of the Church of Nigeria, North American mission, I've made it very clear and I continue to make it very clear, I do not support that. Creating new dioceses will be a violation of Anglican tradition 
and a breach of the brotherly love relationship expected of conservative Anglicans in the Anglican communion, and especially within GAFCON. We can fulfill our duty of outreach in North America to Nigerians and non-Nigerians alike without creating more dioceses. We don't need to create more dioceses to reach sinners. More dioceses will not ipso facto help rich sinners for Christ. As I have stated previously on several occasions, the utilization of our suffragan bishops as area bishops for distinct geographical regions of the United States of America and Canada is both sufficient and effective for the success of our mission and does not run afoul of the traditions of the Anglican Communion. Creating more dioceses will only foment ecclesiastical dissension, tarnish the image and reputation of the Church of Nigeria, and undermine its credibility in GAFCON and the world, worldwide Anglican Communion. Stirring up strife amongst Anglicans in North America is not God's way of seeing his mission fulfilled. Many besides me have similarly advised against such a course action. I want to say this because, you know, as you listen to some of our brothers, Anglican brothers in North America, you know, they tell you, you know, Bishop Oji is the one that is saying, you know, Church of Nigeria should not plant any more dioceses in North America. You know, so they get angry with me and say all kinds of things about me, even write a petition to the primate about it in the past few days. But I am not the only one saying to Church of Nigeria, do not plant any more dioceses in North America. You see, the recent primatial committees on Kena mission, and there's been about two of them in the past few months, the recent primatial committees on Kena mission, the former chancellor of Kena, that is our diocesan chancellor, the former Chancellor of the Anglican Diocese of the Trinity, the General Secretary of GAFCON, and the Primate of ACNA, who is also the Chairman of GAFCON, all of these people and agencies have advised the Church of Nigeria not to create more dioceses in North America. So it is not only Bishop Oji. Amen? You know, and I want all of you to hear it. That's why I put it here. You know, there's the complaint there, you know, it's Bishop Oji that doesn't want us to expand, create more dioceses, complaining in Nigeria. I am not afraid of the complaint. We must do what is right as Christians. Amen? See, part of the problem with Nigeria, our country of Nigeria, and why we have so much trouble and rioting and mayhem is that we have not learned to be principled people who keep the values of being civil, civil and principled in the way we do things. And so it is important for everyone to know that I am not the only one. Committees set up by the primate himself, our suffragan bishops, our former chancellors, and the chancellor of ADO, former chancellor of ADOTT, uh, and uh, the GAFCON leaders have said to the Church of Nigeria, please do not create any more dioceses. So I don't want to be the only one blamed, but even if I'm the only one, I stand my ground because what I'm saying is correct.
So I strongly urge the Church of Nigeria to avoid making any decisions or taking any action that will violate Anglican tradition and the bond of affection within GAFCON. And I, I am grateful to our primate, Archbishop Henry Ndokoba, who has come out very clearly during the General Synod to say that he will not create any more dioceses for the next three to four years. So that is a blessing, and we thank him for that. I must note that our mission in North America belongs to God. My intent is to leave a legacy marked by unity and passion for the work of the gospel, for the glory of God, not for the glory of Bishop Oji. I am not planning to leave a legacy for myself. I don't want to. I am going to leave a legacy of the gospel, a legacy for the glory of God, and when I finish, I will hold my head high that I followed the Bible and I was respectful of my neighbors in the way I did ministry. I am going to finish well in Jesus' name. Uh, I am not against mission. I am not against planning churches. All I'm against is doing it in the wrong way. So I pray that none of us, bishops, clergy, laity, parishes, and dioceses of Conam will leave legacies of crisis resulting from the pursuit of divisive agendas in the name of mission. Let me talk about the former ecclesiastical mission of Cana. The former ecclesiastical mission of Cana is now Conam. So I wish to advise you again that by the directive of the primate of the Church of Nigeria and by resolution of the Board of Trustees of Cana to dissolve the Texas nonprofit corporate entity known as Cana without eliminating its ecclesiastical mission, Cana, the corporation, has now been dissolved. Its legal existence terminated on October 6, 2020. And as of that date, its bylaws ceased having legal force and effect. Please note and be advised that the existence of all Kena offices, including without limitations, Kena missionary bishop, chancellor of Kena, treasurer of Kena, chairman of Kena board of trustees, Kena trustees, and ex officio Kena trustees also ceased to exist on October 6, 2020. So I am not the missionary bishop of Kena anymore. Uh, if you call me the missionary bishop of Kena, uh, we charge you $200 for mission fund. <laughs> okay. All right, so it is illegal for me to use that um, title. So it's been a pleasure serving the Church of Nigeria in the capacity of Kenna Missionary Bishop from May 2019 to October 6, 2020. That position has now ceased to exist. The primate of the Church of Nigeria recently announced the new name for the ecclesiastical mission of the Church of Nigeria here in North America. And here is the new name, 
Church of Nigeria North American Mission, CONAM, Church of Nigeria North American Mission. So instead of saying Kena, you say what? CONAM. So uh, Church of Nigeria Mission continues. In addition to naming this mission, on October 16, 2020, the primate of the Church of Nigeria, the Most Reverend Henry Ndokoba, appointed me to be the coordinating bishop for Conan. I have formally accepted this appointment. I've also asked Barrister Muiwa Shobo, the former chancellor of the Anglican Diocese of the Trinity, ADOTT, I've asked him to serve as my personal legal counsel for this appointed position. And I thank, <clears throat> I thank God he has accepted the appointment. And so, Barista Muiwa Shobo is going to be my legal counsel in this position as the coordinating bishop for the Church of Nigeria Mission <coughs> in North America. Please pray for him. Now, as <clears throat> some of you must have heard, that in the past uh, couple of days, there was a protest. Uh, my appointment was uh, protested. Uh, you know, there was a protest against that appointment to the primate of Church of Nigeria and, uh, you know, posted to all the bishops of Church of Nigeria. And so the primate of Nigeria called a meeting uh, today. I had, we had a video meeting uh, with him and Bishop Amos. And the primate has made it clear that he will not change the appointment. Uh, that we're going to continue in my role as coordinating bishop. I had offered him my resignation, uh, asking to be released from doing that, uh, but the primate refused. Uh, so he wants me to continue uh, doing this coordination. Uh, I am not getting paid for it. Uh, it is work. It is sacrifice. And I am happy to sacrifice my life and my time and my talent and my family for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to be unnecessarily abused. Uh, I will resist that. Uh, but I want to serve God, and all of us who want to serve God will do it gladly. So please pray for Barista Muyiwa and me, and for all the bishops, clergy, and laity of Konam to work together amicably for the progress of the mission and of the kingdom of God in Christ here in North America. My role is to coordinate and to collaborate and support and supervise the dioceses of Konam in North America with love and respect and humility and gentleness. And I think we will do this well by the grace of God. Amen? Uh, we'll, we'll make it work. Uh, there are excerpts from the uh, primate's address. Uh, uh, last uh, synod, uh, I'm just going to read the excerpt on creation of dioceses by the primate of the Church of Nigeria. <clears throat> and I quote, Archbishop Nicholas Oko placed a moratorium on the creation of dioceses in order to consolidate the existing dioceses, and especially the needier ones. Although earlier this year, a committee under Archbishop Israel Amao submitted a report concerning the creation of new dioceses 
we are new in office and the need to study the situation carefully as we consolidate and sustain enormous work started by my predecessors is of utmost importance. Therefore, we have placed a moratorium on the creation of new dioceses, whether full-fledged or missionary. This will be reviewed again at the next General Synod." End of quote. Uh, so that's the decision of our present primate, that no new dioceses will be created. So once again, uh, please do not blame Bishop Orji. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm laboring to say this uh, because I get demonized because I say don't do this. There is something wrong with proliferating dioceses that cannot support themselves. And, and it becomes a problem for everybody. And so we cannot, in the name of mission, create dioceses for every village in Nigeria because that's what they want. <laughs> you, know, you know, every autonomous community wants their own diocese. That is not how to do the work of God. You know, people want to do it. People want to do it in Nigeria. They want to do it in North America. You know, some people want to do it. In fact, I got a call uh, some time ago that says, Bishop Oji, can you convince the primate to create a diocese for us uh, somewhere in West Africa? We we don't. That's not the way to do the work of God. Politics in America. Our nation is experiencing so much turmoil and division over all kinds of issues. This state of affairs is not only caused by political and theological liberals, but also by conservative Christians who exacerbate the problems by inconsistencies in their biblical thinking and behavior, and especially as their behavior concerns the moral and political issues of our society. Our present strife will likely worsen as election day draws near. So please permit me to use this opportunity to remind you of several things. First, our commitment to Christ and his word must take precedence over our commitment to a political party or to any social ideology. I expect all diocesan clergy to take a leadership role in this regard and in their private lives as well as on social media. We must never forget that we are born again not only into the kingdom, into the family of God, but also into the kingdom of God, where Jesus is our Lord and our King. We live under a divine monarchy. And in the kingdom of God, we are absolutely responsible, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ. Amen? Our primary president is, Do is not Donald Trump. It is not going to be, you know, Joe Biden. Our president, our primary president and king is our Lord Jesus Christ. And to him, we must owe primary allegiance. We cannot, you know, give primary allegiance to any political party or any president. That is idolatry. Second, as we approach this 2020 presidential election, we need to pray to God to give us the best possible political leader for the United States. What does a good leader look like? A good political leader will care about the poor, the marginalized, the victimized, all lives born and unborn, the stranger, he will care about racial justice and equity, 
This leader will be committed to intellectual honesty and to biblical teaching on marriage, sexual morality, as well as to religious freedom and national security. A good political leader will do his or her best to unite America under God, recognizing the sovereign supremacy and the authority of Jesus over every person, principle, and thing. And so we need to pray for ourselves to become people committed to Christ and to his righteousness in our thinking and in our doing. We need to be people who are balanced. And as Dennis Prager uh, put it, and I quote, many times on the far right, we abandon compassion in the name of standards. And many times on the far left, we abandon standards in the name of compassion. There is no reason on earth not to have both, end of quote. We need compassion and we need moral standards. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we must be careful as we approach this political season. We must trust God we must listen to him. And so as we approach once again this election, let me share with you the counsel John Wesley gave to British Anglicans and Methodists during the heated political campaign in 1774. John Wesley wrote the following in his journal. Quote, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them, and here was his advice, first, to vote for the person they judge most worthy. Second, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And third, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that they voted, that voted on the other side." End of quote. What is he saying? Pray, go and vote for the person that you want to vote for. And after voting, don't speak evil about the person you didn't vote for. All right? I mean, you just go on Facebook, on social media. People are just saying things, including Christians. And some of them are clergy. And some of them have called them. I said, take it off your Facebook. Because for a clergyman, you are always a clergyman, even when you are in the kitchen or on Facebook. Are you with me? <laughs> that you don't cease to be a clergyman because you're on Facebook. So clergy, be very, very careful so that the devil does not use you to sow discord in our society. So John Wesley says, vote for who you want to vote for. Speak no evil of the person you voted against. You can condemn what they're doing wrong, but don't call them names. And take care that your spirit is not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. So there are Democrats in this diocese, there are Republicans in this diocese, and we are going to love each other. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. So my advice to you is go and vote, follow scripture and Christian principles, and leave the rest to God. Race and violence in America. <clears throat> In addition to COVID-19, America is experiencing another pandemic. 
a pandemic of racism, reverse racism, discrimination, injustice, violence, segregation, and division in both the church and the nation. Let me be clear, racism exists. Racism is real. Whatever you do, do not deny its existence. I have experienced racism, and you prob probably have. Blacks, whites, Asians, Native Americans, all of us experience racism. I've seen black people who exercise racism against white people. I've told you the story, I was in Chicago uh, some years ago. I came in from Canada for a conference, and I was walking on the streets of Chicago. You know, I was the only black person at this, uh, this uh, small conference. Um, and uh, as we were joking along the way in, in, in downtown Chicago, you know, a black American man came to me and started swearing at me, you know, calling me a traitor because I was hanging out with white people. That is racism against white people. You know, so, so there, you know, white people experience racism, black people experience racism. You know, my wife is Asian. Uh, you know, when the uh, COVID, you know, came up, they were calling it Chinese um, virus. You know, and Asians all around the world were being harassed. So we all experience racism, some experience it more. What is God telling us about this? How can we overcome racism and tribalism against Native Americans, Blacks, Whites, Asians, Hispanics, and Middle Easterners in our nations and in our churches? Uh, the answer is not difficult because the scripture gives us God's guidance if we will only humble ourselves and follow that guidance with confidence. First, believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and surrender to him as the Lord of your life. Second, love your neighbor as you indeed love yourself. Third, be on the alert for the racial pandemic. And when you see it, name it and resist it. Do not rationalize or excuse it. If you sense or experience even a hint of racism, discrimination or prejudice in your heart toward anyone or any group of people, admit it and repent of it. Always pursue justice and peace over anger and division, both in the church and in the society. And those in authority should respect those that they are to serve and protect. And those who are protected should be respectful and cooperate with those in authority. We must repudiate police brutality and hostility, and we must also repudiate hostility towards the police. And under no conditions should we defund the police. As the bishop of this diocese, I am not in favor of defunding the police. We need the police in our country and in our cities. Pray to God for help. Befriend someone of a different race and commit yourself to really getting to know each other as being precious to God. Realize that not everyone of a different racial group is a racist, and that different races may also yearn for peace, justice, and friendship. Forgive people who offend you. Do not retaliate and apologize to those toward whom you have harbored racist feelings. 
Be extremely careful about the source of your information on race issues. It is your duty to correctly understand the information you receive and to use it wisely so as to avoid making claims or stating conclusions that are not true. Fighting racism and discrimination with reverse racism, violence, segregation, and or division is not only hypocritical, but counterproductive and ungodly. There is a hallowed place for peaceful protest against evil, but we must condemn and reject violent protest and wanton destruction of property and lives. As my canon to the ordinary, Venerable Don Armstrong uh, put it, and I quote, racial injustice is real, but violence only diminishes the standing of protesters as citizens as they go on creating more injustice and discrimination by their violence. When people turn to blocking the streets and burning down their neighborhoods, they undo all the good support they otherwise would have had and go from problem solving to making a whole new set of problems and their support evaporates and turns to disgust." End of quote. So my brothers and sisters, on the matters of race, we must return to the divine solution, which is to love God, love our neighbors, as we pursue holiness and righteousness and justice for all. Society of St. Benedict, Anglican Diocese of the West. Uh, I have established a society of St. Benedict, and you're going to read a bit more about it. Uh, this society will operate under the Episcopal oversight of the diocesan bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the West, with individual membership of laity and clergy who are members in good standing of a parish within the diocese. The society will be led by a minister general appointed by the diocesan bishop for a term of five years renewable as needed. Members are expected to follow the directions of the diocesan bishop and the minister general. And so it is my pleasure to appoint Reverend Barry Cowald, Rector of St. Benedict Anglican Church in San Antonio, Texas, as the Minister General of the Society of St. Benedict, effective today, October 23, 2020. And so you read more about the Society of St. Benedict. Clergy welfare. Please pay attention to this. Uh, every member of this diocese, especially vestries, congregations, please pay attention to this. Clergy welfare. As the bishop of this diocese, it is necessary to remind everyone that the welfare of clergy is important to me and should be important to you as parishes and parish vestries. Therefore, I ask all parishes, all parish vestries, to review your clergy salaries and benefits, including pensions, life insurance, and medical insurance, endeavoring to be generous and acknowledging that your clergy have families to care for, just as you do. I mean, it surprises me that some members of vestry, you know, we get a raise at work.
But then when they come for a vestry meeting, and there's a discussion about raising the salary of the, um, you know, of the clergy, they oppose it. But then they take their own promotion that they got from work. That is around hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, you want to get promotion, you want to get a raise, you want life insurance, you want health insurance from your workplace, but when it comes to your clergy, you don't want it. That is wickedness and that is hypocrisy. You know, so, so um, your clergy have families just like you. Why is it that it is good for you to get health insurance, medical insurance, you know, life insurance, but it is not good for your clergy to have it? Why? You know, why do you want a salary review at your workplace to get more, but you don't want to do it for your priest? Are you following me? I mean, who here doesn't want a salary raise? Anybody listening to me? You all want a salary raise. Why is it wrong for your clergy to get a salary raise? Why does your clergy have to pray and plead, you know, for something to be done? And when the voting comes, you know, there's always those people who vote no, and it doesn't matter what it is, they just vote no. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Stinginess towards your clergy is not a virtue. It is a vice that you must repent of. Your, the children of your clergy are looking and observing how you are treating their parents. They are watching. Sometimes, because these children and, their, and the wives of your clergy, because they have no voice, they can't come to a vestry meeting to tell you how they feel. They express their views by leaving our Anglican churches the moment they have the opportunity to do so. See, do, you know, we talk about preacher's kid syndrome. You know what preacher's kid syndrome are? You know, they rebel against God. They rebel against the church. And one of the reasons why preacher's kids rebel against the church and God is because of the way they feel people in church treat, they see people in church treat their parents. So I, I am not happy, as you can hear from my voice. I am not happy at all. The children are watching, and sometimes they say, you know, you know, that why is why is why is uncle unhappy with you? You know, in our Nigerian churches, all our children call you what? Uncle, they call you auntie. And they mean it. And then when they see uncle and auntie being mean-spirited to, to their daddy, they get all confused. And then the moment they get an opportunity, they stop coming to church. Because you have become a stumbling block to the faith of these children. Because of the way you're treating their parents. Do not be a stumbling block to the spiritual well-being of the children of our diocese and clergy and to their wives through acts of hypocrisy and ungodly behavior. Rather, be a blessing, be a blessing to your clergy and to their families, and the Lord will bless you in Jesus' name.
See, uh, I've shared this testimony with you before. Uh, in Canada, St. John Shaughnessy, you know, when they hired me as an assistant rector, I mean, they treated us so well. They put us in a big house on the west side of Vancouver. They paid for me to do my doctorate with no strings attached. Says, Felix, go do your doctorate. Whenever you want to leave, you can leave. They didn't say, you know, we're going to pay for your doctorate, but you're going to stay here and say, no. You know, we are, we are blessing you. Every year, they raise our salary. We did not ask for it. Every year, our salaries are raised in Canada. I am pleading with our churches. Do not love money more than you love your clergy. Their wives are crying. Their children are wondering. And they look at you and they smile. But they're not happy. So, uh, so I'm asking all vestries, I'm directing all vestries, review all salaries and be generous and be kind to your clergy. Your clergy are not your boy boy. They're not boy boy. That you can treat like a maid, you know, like a servant living in the outhouse. All right, so uh, we go on to the youth, uh, young adults as a competition. Youth and young adult ministry is important to us, and I'm very pleased to report that good ministry to young people is happening all around the diocese. We plan to have a diocesan youth and young adults conference by Zoom, hopefully by February next year, or if possible, before Christmas. I have asked Venerable Dr. Barnabas Emenogu and his Canadian team to plan this first ever diocesan youth event. I am delighted to advise you that the 2020 maiden edition of the Diocese of the West Youth Essay Competition has successfully concluded. Mama West and I are grateful to Sir Dr. Izu Nwachuku for leading this project with the guidance and support of Venerable Dr. Barnabas Emenogu. Dr. Nwachuku wrote, and I quote, I am happy to report that there was appreciable enthusiasm from our youth in participating, although the COVID-19 pandemic may likely have impacted our overall participation levels. More importantly, I am pleased to report that the quality of essay entries was quite impressive and clearly demonstrates that our youth are well engaged and well informed in both their personal and spiritual lives. There was a, also a shared observation by the entire panel of assessors that this competition has great potential to foster the spiritual growth of our youth and grow their participation in the diocese, and so therefore should be continued as a standing commitment of the diocese." End of quote. That was from Sir Dr. Izu Mwachuku. And so we hope that more of our youth will participate next year in a timely fashion. Uh, clergy, uh, you dropped the ball on this one. Uh, some of the clergy, you don't read emails sent to you from the diocese. Please, clergy, you have a responsibility to read the emails that come from the diocesan office and communicate that in a timely fashion to the people in the parish. 
So clergy, you didn't do your work well on this. Mama West and I congratulate the students who took this competition seriously and made us proud with their work. And so here are the results of the Diocese and 2020 Youth Essay competition. At the college level, that is university category, the winner is Chidera Junifa Chinaka from the Good Shepherd Anglican Church in Austin, Texas. So, so Chidera wrote a very a fantastic essay. Uh, Chidera Junifa Chinaka, Good Shepherd Anglican Church, Austin, Texas. Uh, the runner-ups will get certificate of meritorious participation. Uh, now, for those who are in the fourth, they get certificate of excellence. And then for the runner-ups, we'll get certificate of meritorious participation and honorable mention. So the second in place are Ekene Onyeka, our savior in Calgary, Alberta. Chidozie Obioma Alozie, All Saints, New York, New York. And Chisomu Okeke, the Good Shepherd Anglican Church, Austin, Texas. Uh, so they will receive um, a certificate of uh, meritorious participation. And those who got first will get certificate of excellence, excellence and um, a diocesan medal. All right, so that's why I'm wearing this. Uh, so those of you who won first class will get a medal and a certificate. Uh, your certificates have been mailed to your rector, so your rector will give it to you uh, when you come to church for Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right. All right, high school category. Those who took the first position, there are co-winners. We had uh, tie-in entries. Uh, so these are for certificate of excellence. Chisom Elo Ochoba, All Saints, Greater Toronto Area in Mississauga, Ontario. And Chibunkem Onyennaya, St. Faith Anglican Church in Riverdale, Georgia. And then certificates of meritorious participation are Possible Chinaka, his name is Possible Chinaka, Good Shepherd Anglican Church, Austin, Texas. And then uh, secondly, Chuku Agosiem Onyennaya, St. Faith, Riverdale, Georgia. So as I mentioned, the top winners will receive the Certificate of Excellence and the Diocesan Medal uh, that we'll mail to you, while those in the second position will receive a Certificate of Meritorious Participation, and uh, these certificates have been sent out to your rectors. Once again, congratulations, and thanks to all of you for participating. God bless you. Conclusion. In conclusion, I ask every member of this diocese to strive to be people of prayer and godliness, make preaching, teaching, hearing, believing, obeying, and applying the word of God central to your personal lives, to your parish lives, and to our diocesan life. There is no hope and there is no transformation apart 
from the living and powerful word of the living God. God has called us to the mission of making disciples for Christ. And we cannot possibly fulfill that mission without knowing and preaching his word and living lives that adorn the gospel of Christ. Richard Hooker reminds us of this truth, and I quote, The end of the word of God is to save, and therefore we term it the word of life. The way for all men and women to be saved is by the knowledge of that truth which the word of God has taught. To this end, the word of God no otherwise serveth than only in the nature of a doctrinal instrument. It saveth because it maketh wise to salvation. End of quote. We need revival and power. We need reformation in the church of God and in this diocese. And the only way it is going to come is if we pray and preach the word of God faithfully and receive the word of God faithfully. Dr. Robert Godfrey tells us, and I quote, the only way to reform the church is to keep studying the word of God, to keep coming back to the word of God, to keep looking at the word of God, and then trying to live out the word of God. End of quote. May God grant us power to preach the gospel with passion and compassion, to plant churches that are disciples of grace, and may God enable us to live for his glory. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you now and forever. Amen. God bless you here. Ends my prayer.